Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are new here, uh, really glad that you're here. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. Really glad all of you are here, including you guys who are joining us online. Glad that you're worshiping with us. Like Lauren said, we're in the middle of a relationship series. But before we get into that, I have a quick uh, kind of finance and business update that I want to give. I told you I'd be giving you these every now and then to make sure we're all together on the same team. Uh, and um, I don't know if you guys notice, this is actually why I'm bringing it up. I don't know if you guys notice that every... Every week, we kind of have a, a finance slide that kind of gives updates. It's in our email as well. Kurt, if you'll put it up there. And it kind of shows how we're doing uh, from week to week. And I don't know if you guys noticed in the fall, it seemed like that, that number was getting really big in the minus. And now all of a sudden, we're in the plus. And that kind of help you understand a little bit kind of how this works with our, with our church and our giving. Is that typically what on average comes in in our offering every week is about $13,000 a week, which is, you'll notice, if we need sixteen, that leaves a pretty significant gap of about $150,000 or so. And so you'll see then when the, the, the fiscal year starts in July, that number will, you know, if it's getting up 3000 a week, it'll get pretty big. And so what then you need is about $150,000 of kind of special one-time giving. And we have some people that, that are annual givers as opposed to, you know, weekly or monthly givers like that. And so there's some of that that we anticipate is going to come in. And so far, you know, a little bit over $100,000, close to $120,000 of that has come in. And so what will happen is you'll have this big negative there for a little while, and then all of a sudden, boom, now it looks positive. Um, and what I don't want to happen, and this is, this is what I'm afraid has happened, the last couple of weeks, since that number got big on the plus side, our giving the last two weeks has been kind of, you know, really bad. I mean, I don't want to make it dramatic, but it was, it was really, really bad. And, and, and I'm, part of me wonders if it's a little bit of the psychology of, hey, it looks like the church is doing well. Well, it is doing well, and I'm not worried. But you, the, the, those of you who are regular givers, I would encourage you, regardless of what you see in that number week to week, to continue in your regular normal giving, because then that allows us to then kind of budget and understand and have good expectations about what's coming in and how far we're behind. Because I look at that number and I think, okay, we're still about $30,000 behind on what we need for the year. But that's, that, that kind of implies that the people who are part of our regular giving are, um, are doing that. And so I just want to make sure you understand that. And, I don't, I don't, I don't, and, and, and again, it's why it's important as uh, people who are regular members here at the Grove to make sure that you're giving as much as possible, that your giving can be anticipated and is regular so that we can make good decisions and make sure that our, our church continues to be financially healthy. So thank you uh, for listening to that. Uh, we're going to jump into our relationship series here. And as always, when I'm anytime I do a relationship series, it always makes me really mindful of um, my wife and I, Heidi, our relationship. Uh, this June will be 29 years that we've been married, which is really awesome. And when you've been married that long and things are going well, you kind of find yourself getting into grooves and you kind of, you know each other really well. You kind of, you kind of do things without even really having to ask the other one because you kind of understand, right? So my wife and I, we really like to travel. We really like to do it. And, and, and there's a groove that we have. Despite the fact that I'm not particularly the detail-oriented one, I am typically the one that plans the trip because this is one of my superpowers, my hidden superpowers, hidden talents, hidden gems, is that I can find a trip cheap. Whatever it is you think, I can, I, I can find how to do really, really cool things on the cheap. Like somebody came up to me the other day and said, I hear the, the, uh, 
the average cost for a family of four at Disney World is $15,000, which I really love them saying that to me because we don't come anywhere close to that. And I like, makes me feel really good about myself because there's five of us, not four. We stay longer and we do more stuff and we're not even, I mean, way under half of that. So we're really, I'm, that, I love that. And we just recently went on a trip and I've liked to brag about it because it was two uh, plane tickets, four nights, five-star hotel, under $500, right? And I've loved saying that because of like talking to people like, what? All right, okay, so here you go. But, and it was this place, you're gonna judge me, stop, please don't. Well, it's this place we like to visit, it's just outside of Henderson, Nevada. <laughs> if you don't know where Henderson, Nevada is, it's just outside of Las Vegas. So don't, that's not the point of this. And so, so, so I, I, I plan that, but there's like, you have to call the hotel if you want a particular room request, anything that involves the phone, that's Heidi, because I'm not trying to talk to anybody on the phone. If I can, if I can avoid it, I want, I want to. So she, she handles that and um, she's the foodie. So she's always planning the meals and she's always, you know, on, you know, various websites looking for restaurants, wherever it is we're going or what we're going to eat. That's what, that's what she does. And so I'll usually find us a fun activity or two. And we don't even have to have conversations about it. But then there's this other thing that happened this, this last week. I hinted at it last, I hinted at it last week. And I'll start with the punchline. We, I think we ended, we, we definitely did. We, we ended up on the set of the filming of a Mark Wahlberg movie that is coming out this year. And um, I'm not saying we're in the movie. I'm just saying there's a greater than zero chance that we are in this movie, right? And how did it happen? It was just this, it's, it's a confluence of events. Like I noticed something and she noticed something and she does something and we're, we, you know, we're willing to take risk and she'll, do, she'll push this way and I'll push this way. Beep, bop, boop, boop. We just kind of doing all these things, internet sleuthing, chatting people up. We just kind of fall into these roles and boom, there we are. We're on the movie set, Right? And this is kind of how we roll. We just kind of understand each other and work well together and are willing to kind of, I don't want to say, when I say cross a line, I'm not talking about an ethical line. I mean, just kind of willing to put, do something maybe somebody else wouldn't, take a risk somebody else wouldn't. And we have, we have fun and we do this together. And you're, and you're together 29 years, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to look at each other. It's like, hey, there seems to be something going on there. Do you think that we should go over there or not? Well, I don't know. You just know. Like, and, we, and, we, and we go and next thing you know, we're in the movie, right? And so we, we know each other. And what it means for me to be a husband in our marriage is pretty, pretty well established. And, what, and what, what the expectations of her as the wife in our marriage, those are pretty well. But here's the question. Are there predetermined tracks, predetermined roles that God has for a husband and wife in marriage that he wants all marriages to look like? Are there these predetermined roles or not? And I don't know what kind of websites or blogs you follow, who you follow on various social medias, in Christian circles, Christian thinking. But, you know, this was true a long time ago, and it's now come back around, where this has again become a fairly controversial, highly debated thing. And as always with things that Christians are debating, there's, very, there's two very significant camps, and they have complicated names that they give themselves. One is complementarian which is the idea, the people who kind of defend what we can call biblical, what they call biblical marriage or traditional marriage, that there are very specific roles that God has outlined. And then on the other hand, we've got egalitarians who will say that there really, there really is not such a thing. And, and, and they like to debate and they like to argue. And if you've been around here long enough or if you've known me long enough, you'll probably not be surprised to say that I think that 
what the Bible has to say about what our marriages are supposed to look like and the roles of a husband and the roles of a wife are significantly more nuanced than either one of them really understand, than are willing to admit. Because I think too often we kind of entrench ourselves and really the, the truth of what God is wanting us to do is a, is, is a lot more complex than either camp can really put together. And so what I want us to do today is just kind of explore this a little bit. And probably in the end, you're going to wish that I had been more specific. And I think very often that's not just your frustration with me, but I think it is our frustration with the way that God communicates. Because very often God is communicating in principles rather than very specific things that we're supposed to do. But this passage in Ephesians 5, I do believe, gives us a great blueprint of some incredible principles and roles for us to play to allow us to have a healthy marriage because too strict of roles, I think, can produce one sort of stress and problems in marriage and the idea that I'm not sure, even sure who I'm supposed to be can cause a different set. So let's jump in here into this passage in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. And if you were here last week, you will recognize this. We will reference this verse again. It starts verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so anything that we're going to talk about with our roles in the context of our relationships um, begins with this, that all of our roles begin with mutual submission. They begin with mutual submission. This idea of we're supposed to submit to one another. And the, the best definition, I think, for submit is I'm going to give up the thing that I want to give someone else what they need. So I'm going to submit my wants to your needs. So rather than me trying to get what I want from you, I'm going to try to give you what you need. And the risk of that, and we talked about that this last week, is that there's a trust factor there. Because if I do that and you don't, then I'm going to be taken advantage of. And so I need to do this for you and trust that you're going to do the same thing for me. And that we can trust one another to kind of know that the other one is looking out for me. I'm not going to look out for me. I'm going to look out for you. And I'm going to be able to trust that you're going to be able to do the same. And the best, one of the best illustrations for this is I think the way that very often we fight over the check. The check comes, and they make one check instead of two, and they kind of have this, you can have this argument. It's like, nah, man, you're paying for this one, man. You are, I'm always paying for stuff, you old cheapskate. You got to pay. What do you mean? I'm not a cheapskate. You're the one's a cheapskate. You never pay. And, the, and you, can, you can fight because you're fra- afraid that someone's taking advantage of you. Or the overly nice people have ever been involved in a situation with an overly nice person. Oh, let me get that. And you're like, oh, no, 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 you can't get that. Let me get that. Let me get that. Now you're, you're still having the same fight but it's significantly nicer because you're trying to figure out who can serve the other one the best. And so then, you know, you're trying, as a family, a couple or whatever, you're trying to pick a restaurant. So where do you want to go? Well, it doesn't matter to me. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? And and that's different than, I guess what, we're having pizzas. I don't want pizzas. I didn't ask a question. Right? Like, and, 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 you know, so there's, there's two different ways you can have, you know, conflict, but, you know, what the, the blueprint that I believe that Paul is putting out here for us is one that says that the conflict needs to begin with outserving one another. That I'm not going to strongly advocate for what I want. I'm going to be a strong advocate for what you need. And then you do the same. And we, and we come, we, our, our conflicts are healthier. And we can come to resolution quicker. All right, so the passage continues. And, and it's important, I think, to start in verse 21 Because often when we start with verse 22, verse 22 seems shocking or upsetting or troubling or has been historically for people. Verse 22, wives submit 
yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, if you start there, then that just seems very strong. What do you mean, wives submit to your husbands? That's what? But the reality of it is that he has already said this. He has said that this is something that everyone needs to do for each other. And in fact, and I don't do this very often. This is good for some of you. Some of you are like, mm. but like in the original, in the, in the Greek text, the word submit is not repeated. It's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands. And so basically he's just building on that same idea. And what he's saying is this thing that you're supposed to do for one another, here is specifically how it should play out from a wife to her husband. So he's not asking the wife to do anything different than he's asking any of the rest of us to do. There's just a particular way and a particular type of submission and, and service that a wife is called to do in the context of a marriage. And so it's, it shouldn't It shouldn't shock us or feel like now we've immediately established a hierarchy because Paul has already established a hierarchy in verse 21, which is there isn't one. We're not trying, there's there's no who's on top. It's it's a race to who can outserve the other one. There is no, there's no structure of leadership per se where someone is in charge and someone is not. That's not what Submit's talking about here. It's like, wait, bro, he said submit like submit to Jesus. So that seems different. Well, let's continue. Verse, 20, uh, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So you got that phrase there at the end. So wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And again, I would like to suggest that that isn't anything different, per se, than what's said in verse 21, which is submit to one another. But he does bring some difference in here as he's describing a particular relationship. In this particular relationship, the submission should look like as one, as the church submits to Christ because Christ is the head of the church. And so this idea of head, I think that's really important. You think, well, I know what that means, like the head of an organization. He's, He's the head of this. That means in charge But there's an interesting thing that Jesus said when he was talking about leadership. And he talked about specifically around this idea of being head, right? That to be a leader, he says, man, this is the way way that non-believers think. They think of leader in terms of authority, who gets what, who gets privileges. But that's not how it is with you because if you'll notice me, Leadership was about service and sacrifice, and that's what leadership is for you too. And I find it interesting, Paul's use of the word head, when any number of words could have been used. He could have used Lord, he could have used King, he could have used God, all roles that Jesus plays. But he wants you to think of it in terms of, okay, Christ is the head of the church, and in the same way, the husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean? Like, what does he mean? Because it can mean, again, at this point, it can mean a lot of things. We want it to be, or we think we want it, we think it, it's about decision-making, authority, who's in charge. It's about hierarchy. But Paul continues and explains, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what does it mean to be the head Well, you're the head the way that Jesus was. And he's very specifically describing what that role looks like for Jesus. And what it looked like for Jesus was ultimate sacrifice. He sacrificed 
himself. That's, that, is, that is his action item in his role as head. Now, again, he has a different role as Lord, as king, rule maker, as God, but as head, his role, his action item as the head of the church was absolute and total sacrifice. So again, we're not, we're not necessarily here talking about, and you, you think I mean a little too nuanced here, not necessarily talking about decision-making, but let's just continue. Let's, let's finish this up. Verse 26. Gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and become united, father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, if there's a part of you after all of that, it's like that was a lot of words, feels a little confusing. I'm not sure where Paul is going with that. I would like to suggest that based on the evidence of this next verse, that I think Paul realized that that's what he was doing. He was very simply and clearly, I think at the beginning, kind of describing, okay, a wife is supposed to be, uh, is, is supposed to submit just like the, like the church does to, to Jesus. And, and, and then the husband is supposed to sacrifice himself for the wife in the way that Jesus did for the church. And he's kind of, again, describing in the context of a marriage the way mutual submission can look like. And then he just kind of goes off for a little bit. And then he says this in verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church which is kind of his way of saying, okay, I, I, I kind of lost the thread there for just a, just a little second. I kind of lost the thread. And then he sums it up for us very well here in verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so he's like, I don't want you to get too deep in the weeds about the connection between husband, wife, and Jesus and the church because there's our difference. It is a limited metaphor. And I, and I, I may have just kind of... I'm I'm, I'm talking about Christ in the church here. But let me sum up. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives the way that you love yourself. And so he's describing again, I believe, again, verse 21, what mutual submission is supposed to look like in the context of a marriage. And so what he's describing here for a wife is, you know, this submitting like you submit to Christ and to love your husband. I mean, to respect your husband, and a, and, a, and, a, and a husband is supposed to love his wife the way, he love, the way he loves himself. Now, a lot has been made, in fact, there are books have been written with this title about the difference between love and respect. And these are two very different words, but I think if we think about it, if we're going to make a Venn diagram of love and respect, they're very similar, right? And they, you, love, you love and respect in very similar ways. But I think there is a difference between these two words, even in their similarity. And I would say that in the same way that men and women are very much alike, except when they're different. And there's, there, is, there is a difference. There's a lot of things that all people have in common, but there are some differences between the way that, 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 that women think and, and behave and what they desire from their spouse. And there are some differences between what a hus- the way a husband thinks and what a husband desires from his spouse. And Paul is highlighting that. We're talking about the same thing, mutual submission, but the way it plays out is going to look just a little different. 
Because what a husband tends to tend to want and desire most from his spouse is a woman that genuinely believes in him. I believe in you. I believe in you. And I want to empower you. And I, I, I believe that you are great. You're a great man. And I believe that you can do things. And I trust you. And what a wife tends to want more is, is a cherishing, a valuing. You are of incredible importance to me. I love you. In, in this kind of sacrificial way. And you can hear some of that. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know that exactly characterizes me. And I'm not trying to pretend that I'm some social science researcher. All I can say is we've had a lot of people, a lot of couples, a lot of families that we spent a lot of time with. And these patterns tend to play out this way. And again, that kind of affirms what Paul's saying here. And so what we have, you put all this together. It's like you, what Paul's saying is you want a wife that empowers her husband, trusts him, respects him, believes in him. That's a role that she's to play in that relationship. And that what a husband is called to do is, is, is this sacrifice, initiate, love. Like, like I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I need to initiate maybe what's true, what's best. I want to sacrifice for you. I want to love you. And again, what I would like to say is that there's nothing in here that talks about who gets to make a decision and who's in charge. How you make decisions and how you figure out if anyone is supposed to be in charge, that's going to be entirely up to you in the the context of your marriage. What this is talking about is this idea of mutual submission and how it looks best for a wife to do this is to empower and trust her husband. And the way that it looks best for a husband to do this is to love and sacrifice and take initiative for the good of his family. And there is no sense in which there's somebody dominating the other one. But we are trusting and loving and empowering each other. And so you may ask, well, what is that supposed to look like? What does that look like? And the reality is it's going to look very different in a lot of different marriages. Too often, we're wanting to talk about the mechanics of it. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Like, okay, so how do we decide where we're going to eat? How do we decide where we're going on vacation? How do we make these sorts of decisions? Who's supposed to be in charge of the finances? Who does this stuff? Like, we're wanting to talk mechanics, but we can't even begin to talk about mechanics until we understand the principles involved. And the principle primarily, the first one is of mutual submission, but I've got a few more, like I think incredibly important principles that I think that can play in that I think that can help you sort out maybe some of the broken mechanics that may be happening in some of our relationships. And the first one is this, is that you need to play your role. And I'm going to say it this way. You need to play your role, your, your role, your role. Too often in a marriage, we are overwhelmingly preoccupied by thinking about what our spouse is not doing. What are they not doing? They're not doing this. They're not doing that. They should be doing this when they're not. They should be being like this. They should be this. They should be this. And you become obsessed with what your spouse isn't doing rather than focusing on the thing that you have the most control over, which is what you do, what you choose to do in the context of your relationship. What you choose to do in the context of your relationship is the thing that you can do. And I'm going to be who God has called me to be. I'm a husband and I'm going to focus on sacrificing for my wife, 
loving her well, taking initiative to make sure that things are good for my family, that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm a wife and I'm going to focus on empowering and trusting and respecting my husband. And again, we talked about this last week. That's risky. And it, of course, all of this begins with trust. Because very often what kind of happens in our relationships is that very often a relationship will be, you kind of have a... Um, Man, here's the thing. I'm a trained professional, and I could absolutely have let that go, except I lose you for a second, and I know that I've lost you, and so let's acknowledge it, and now you'll come back. (laughs) Because what can happen in a relationship very often is you got a domineering one and a a passive one, and someone who is just kind of, you know, just kind of, just a little overbearing, and again, I want to be clear on this. I said this last week. I'm not talk, we're never talking about abuse. When we're talking about abuse, you need help, and our church and the people in our church want to help you. I'm not talking about you've got someone who is abusing the other one. If we have something like that, you need some help, and we want to help you. But I'm just talking about just kind of just your more mundane. You've got somebody who's just kind of the, the controlling one in some way, and you've got someone who's kind of very passively given up. Or you may have a relationship, this is very often, we've got two people who've given up, and we've kind of switched into what we'll just call roommate mode. We're just roommates and maybe co-parents, but we're not really empowering and trusting each other. And so what's important for you, if you find yourself in any of these things, is to stop thinking about what your spouse isn't doing. If you're the, if you're the dominant one, you need to stop thinking about the fact that your passive spouse isn't doing the things they're supposed to be doing. That needs to not be your... I'm, maybe, 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 maybe it's because I'm not serving them well enough. What role is that playing in? And if I were to play my role better and to serve them better, maybe these things that I'm experiencing from them could improve. In the same way, if you're the passive one and you're watching, you feel like you're getting steamrolled in some way, maybe in part of that's because you've not stepped up to play the role that you've been called to play. But if we focus on what the other person is doing, we'll we'll never be able to get out of this. And I think about a particular way that the mechanics have played out in our roles, in our marriages, our finances. Now, I was a math major in college, and my wife is whatever the opposite of a math major was, right? You may think, what is the opposite of a math major? And I would say an English literature major, which is in fact what my wife was. She was an English literature major. And so I've always done the finances. I think it's, it's been important to her historically that it, she feels like that I'm, that, that, that I'm the one that is seeing all of it, not just simply because we have, you know, I have math skills, because honestly, she's significantly more organized than I am and could probably do a better job. But it's always been important for her that I play this role, and I have and um, so I have, uh, and again, I've got all sorts of little schemes. We've got multiple checking accounts, a ton of different savings accounts. We're moving things around all the time. And so I kind of the one that oversees it. And she barely, she barely, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't really look into it that much. But the flip side of it is I've never once spent more than $100 without talking to her about it first, ever, ever. Unless it's like a present, like a present. I'm not talking about, hey, I'm going to buy you this present. Because that matters to her. It matters to her that it feels like that we're not ever being frivolous or buying things that we shouldn't be buying. And so we always talk about it. But 
I mean, she, I mean, she, I mean, she has all the logins, but I don't think she ever logs in. She does she, every now and then she'll just kind of ask me sometimes in a stressed way, what is this? 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 And I try to always answer a question, but then how do I interpret her stress? Do I interpret it as her not trusting me or do I interpret it as she obviously needs more information than what I'm giving her? And so I try to be more proactive in communicating with her. Now, some of you may hear about that. Especially some of you wives may hear about that. Like, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. And I'm like, great. If you feel like you need more involvement in the finances than what I've just described, that is a great mechanic, operational principle for your marriage. And I hope that your husband knows that. And I hope that you have communicated that well to him. And I hope that he is honoring that. I'm not suggesting that particular detail for your marriage. I'm saying it is what has worked for us based on what I know that she needs and what she knows that I need. And so we have made that work. But again, not always. It hasn't always been great, which leads us to our second principle is like you play your role, but you've got to give your spouse the space to play theirs. So I'm not a systems guy. I get it done. It's functional. We get to them, but you know, I, I pay the bills on my laptop here at the church. So I take the bill and I put it in my car. And sometimes it sits in my car for a day. Sometimes it sits in my car for more than a day. Sometimes it makes its way to the floorboard. And sometimes my wife makes her way into my car and there's our bills on the floorboard. Now, 27 years ago, this principle did not work very well. She would, it would really upset her. She didn't like what I was doing, but she came to realize, hey, if this is his thing, I need to let him do it. Even if he's not doing it the way that I think that he should, even if I think that, that, that this is going to cause some problems, which honestly it has. Not every bill I have ever had to pay has been paid on time. I have not batted a thousand. I'm not batting a thousand. And the problem is it always seems to be the one that immediately sends the second thing with the pink paper. And I'm like, Ew. and then you come home and she's like, in the old days, it was, what is this? And now it's like, hey. Or she'll just send a picture of it on her phone and send it to me. Beek. Just so you know. And she's not, trying to be, she's not trying to be any way. She just needs to make sure that I know. That apparently, we have at least one delinquent bill. And usually, it's like, yeah, I know. I was like, it was only a day behind, I promise. We're fine, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. Right? But she's not trying to take over. She's not trying to take over. She's not trying to, she's not, she's not trying to be like, well, if this is what he's supposed to do and he's not doing it the way I think he should, I've got to take it back. She's letting, she's, she let me grow into this. Because too often, we're watching our spouse and they're supposed to be doing something. They're supposed to be, they're, there's a role that we've decided in our, this, this, is what, this is what we need from you and they're not doing, you take it back. And next thing you know, now, now there's no space for them to be or become the husband or the wife that they need to be. And you need to let them grow into that space and give them a place where they really feel like that they can be a good husband, be a good wife. And now when I say this, when I say you need to take a step back and let them grow into the role, here's what I'm, I don't mean this. You know, passive aggressive staring. And this is what we do. We're just kind of like, all right, we'll see. Scrub. See if you can do it. I know you can't. But he told me I had to give you a chance. This is me 
giving you a chance. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it, it is an emotional space, a kindness space, a gentleness space to let someone succeed. I'm going to do what God's called me to do, and I'm not going to be so controlling and take over so much that I feel like I've got to do what you're supposed to be doing. Because when we take a step back and don't do what we're supposed to do, or we take too many steps forward where we're taking things that someone else is supposed to do, it creates these sorts of dysfunctions. Again, with, with the controlling one and the passive one. Or can eventually become, again, the two passive ones. Or worse, the two aggressive ones. But we've got to figure these things out. How this, how this is supposed to work. And you, and you may be thinking, well, what, what are we supposed to do? And I can't, I can't speak to that for you. I don't know what it needs to look like in your home. I tell, we tell people this all the time, especially like we're doing pre-marriage counseling. It's like one of the, th- one of the biggest things you've got to figure out, and I'll say their last name, right? You need to figure out how Smiths make decisions. You know how your parents made decisions and your parents made decisions. We can tell you how we made it. How do you, how did the two of you, how do you make decisions? How do you do it? What is, what is the Lofton way? This is something that has to be worked out. And very often, it's gonna, the only way that it really can be worked out is with really good communication, which we're going to talk about next week. We're talking about how we can communicate better. If you're not being loved well, it could be because he doesn't know. He doesn't know because you haven't told him or he's not hasn't yet quite figured out how to love you well. And guys, it is your job to figure that out. But ladies, it's also your job to tell him. And guys, you may feel like she's disrespecting you. She may not know that what she's doing feels disrespectful to you because you didn't tell her. And again, ladies, it's your job to figure that out. But guys, it's also your job to tell. And we're not very good at this. And it, Heidi and I have said this for a long time, that most marriage problems come from women feeling unloved, guys feeling disrespected, and we lack the tools to talk about it. So we'll spend some time next week talking about some tools that we can use to have better conversations. But working out these problems that we have are going to involve a lot of really difficult but important conversations. But above and beyond that, final principle, we've got to learn to trust God fully. I don't know, honestly, this is going to sound like something that a preacher would say. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how marriage works without God. I just don't. Without, how, how can you love the way that Jesus loved if you've never experienced that love? How can you trust someone to love you well if you've not experienced that unconditional trust? And how can we make any of this work unless God is there with us? helping us through his spirit. We've experienced and understand the gospel. His Holy Spirit is powerful within us, giving us the courage to do and say the things that we normally wouldn't say or do. So I, I, I beg you to, to, to put God in your life and in the center of your marriage because without his help, without the power and the reality of the gospel and without the real presence of God's spirit in you, this is, I, it, it, it gets more difficult than I could even possibly imagine. And so to the degree that I want to give you homework, 
have some conversations around this. Here's how I feel like I could be loved better. Here's how I could be, wish I could be respected better. Here's some things that you're doing that I wish that you weren't. Or here's some things that you're not doing that I wish that you were. Have those sorts of conversations. And there's a really good chance that they're not going to go well. And again, we can talk about it next week, how we can do better. But it is better to have a bad conversation than to keep living this repeated circle, this loop of things that we're doing right now that's not getting any better. So let's learn to trust each other. Let's learn to communicate. And let's put our hope and faith fully in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, I do. I thank you for that gospel. Where a model of self-sacrifice and sacrificial love is just evident. And God, I pray that we would be able to model that. God, especially as husbands, that we could fully just understand what you did and try to model that in our homes. And God, I pray that we would be able to trust, that we would be able to love, that we would be able to respect, that we would be able to talk, that God, that we would be able to move past these patterns that we've got that we would stop thinking about what somebody else isn't doing and start thinking about what we need to do. God, the more I talk, the more overwhelming it seems. And so God, I pray that your spirit, your Holy Spirit would be very present within us and gives us the courage and the ability to love the way that you have loved. And again, we thank you for your son who is the incredible model of that. And it's his name that we pray. Amen.